If you have a Bible, I'd recommend that you grab it. <clears throat> We're going to spend some time in Galatians chapter 5, around verse 22. We're not going to be there too long, but I'd encourage you to find that. Galatians chapter 5, starting around 22. The next three weeks, we're talking about the vision of the church. And so many of you have been here for a little while, probably around August on. Some of you are brand new. Some of you have been coming the past few weeks. And so my hope is, as we're talking about the vision of the church, that you would see if this is something that you're interested in being a part of. I, one of the things that is told about me pretty often is I often preach like I'm not coming back the next Sunday. And this is one of those sermons. And the reason for that is because sometimes you just have to be honest about what Scripture says and, and what God is actually saying through his very words, and sometimes it's just not popular. This vision, you've heard me say it many times, this is not going to become a shock to those of you that have been here for a while. Our vision is to grow more into the likeness of Jesus together. To grow more into the likeness of Jesus together. For 2,000 years, we have been very focused on making disciples as a church, not us personally because I'm 36, but you know what I mean. And the, the church of Jesus Christ is focused on making disciples. And for a lot of us, when we hear the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, our minds originally and, and first go to how. What does that look like? I can't do that. And we start to think through these things as opposed to God says at the very end of the Great Commission, and I will be with you always till the very end of the age. And so I want to encourage us with the fact that as we disciple, as we pour out our lives into others, there's this thing that takes place. We grow more into the likeness of Jesus. This vision has been the vision of this church since we got here because I don't want to play church I don't think we ought to play games as the Church of Jesus Christ. How many of you have seen the wonderful Christmas movie? No, it's not a Christmas movie. My bad. Uh, the, how many of you have seen Talladega Nights? Okay. A couple of people need to be redeemed, and then a bunch of people really need to be redeemed. So Talladega Nights is about Ricky Bobby, who's a NASCAR driver, and I'm not going to get into the whole movie and spoil it for you. Bruce Willis dies in it. I'm just kidding. That's every other movie. But... But Ricky Bobby is sitting around the table. He's made a bunch of money, and he's with uh, his, his partner, Shake and Bake, and he's with his wife, and he's with his kids. And they pray for dinner. Who remembers who they pray for, who, who they pray to? Thank you, baby Jesus. Thank you, little baby Jesus. And here's the thing, as we're celebrating Advent this month, as we're celebrating the coming of the Son, I have to remind you that baby Jesus grew up, and baby Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to die, and he physically rose from the dead. And so as we look at this idea of this vision in this month, as we're leading up to Christmas and Christmas Eve, where we're going to celebrate baby Jesus... Be constantly reminded that he's doing a work in us right now. He's alive. He's as alive today as he was three days after he rose from the dead, and he is still working in and through his church. This idea of growing in the likeness of Jesus came from the fact that 
Many years ago, I had the opportunity to share my faith with a lot of different people. I was working in insurance. I was working uh, at, a, at a church uh, volunteer and helping with the youth ministry. And a bunch of youth, a lot of youth, and a bunch of young adults became what we would say Christians. They became followers of Jesus. Kevin Chang was one of them. And as I had the opportunity to share my faith consistently, we saw a lot of people say yes to Jesus, but there was no discipleship that was taking place. We wanted people to say yes, we wanted to get them baptized, and to be honest, we kind of left them on their own. And I want to be the anti-that. I want to be the church or a church in many churches in the Bay Area that focus on helping people grow by actually having relationships and accountability and biblical teaching and applying the Word of God because when we apply the Word of God, we grow more into the likeness of Jesus. So here's the thing, and, and some of you, you've heard me say this so many different times, but I don't want us to be satisfied with just being justified. I don't want us to be satisfied with just being justified. What I mean by that is, again, you just pray a prayer and then you think, okay, I believe in Jesus, me and God are good. But I believe that sanctification is evidence of justification. And sanctification is this process where we grow more consistently and we look more like Jesus. But when I say we look more like Jesus, we have to define it because to be honest, a lot of you aren't going to hear what I'm about to share As I shared it in first service, I put the wrong verse up, the wrong number, and my fear is that we're going to focus on something that's wrong and miss the entire point of what this text says. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, verse 22, so 22 and 23. I put 23, and then people miss the point, and I don't want us to miss the point. But the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when we say we're going to look more like Jesus, we're going to look more like that. Because Jesus is 100% all of those. And we want to be, by obeying God's word and the power of the Spirit of God moving through us, we want to look more like him. Who would not want to be more peaceful? Who would not want to be more joyful or patient or kind? And this is what we get to be a part of when we trust the Lord at his word. And so we're going to talk over the next three weeks of what I believe is the sanctification process that we're going to focus on for every person that calls Church of the Valley their home. And I want all of us to be aware of this, and I want some of us to be able to opt out. Because to be honest, for a lot of us, we'd rather do church where we don't have to share takeaways We'd rather do church where we don't have to talk to anyone, and that's not an introvert-extrovert thing. Here's the thing about introverts. You guys are amazing one-on-one. It's the group that scares you. This means yes. This means no. You know what I mean. And so this is not about being extroverted. This is about actually wrestling with what the Word of God says with another person, because guess what? You're going to have to spend eternity with some of the people in this room, so get to like them now. So before we start this process where we start to talk about this process, I want to help us understand that there are some things that God does to woo us, to draw us to himself. There are things that God uses to make us Christians before we start the sanctification process. And here's one of the things that he uses, usually first, that we hear about Jesus. Have you all heard about Jesus? 
At some point, you hear about Jesus. At some point, you heard either through parents who loved the Lord or siblings or someone stubbed their toe and yelled out his name or a pastor or an excited Christian or a video on social media or a track. It was a little piece of paper that told you about who Jesus is. And it is by hearing about him first that starts to create our theology of who God is. Even if we don't at first know him or trust him or believe in Jesus, we start to have our minds expanded to the possibility that God could and does exist. So in Romans 10, verse 14, Paul, I shared this last week, was teaching or speaking to the church in Rome, and he said, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is why God not only gave us the great commission to make disciples, to pour out our lives into other people, to disciple others, but to be alert and prepared with an answer when someone asks you about the hope that you have. But how will people know unless we tell them? Unfortunately, the gospel is often the best kept secret in and outside of the church, isn't it? We talk a lot about different things that have nothing to do with the gospel, but can I be honest, the main reason that we don't talk about the gospel is we live in a culture that talks about sharing our religion and sharing our politics, our big no-no socially. And so we keep it to ourselves, but not only that, we become ignorant to these things because we never talk about them. We become less and less informed. But here's some good news. God doesn't ask us to share our religion. He doesn't ask us to tell people how to come and do things in order to be saved. He tells us to be prepared with an answer for the hope that we have because we're saved not by our effort, but by God's effort who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So it is that we share the hope in the person and the work and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're asked as Christians to share with others. So at some point we hear about Jesus. This is Often the first thing that happens or the second part happens first and then we hear about Jesus second, but then we are influenced by Christians. Think about this for a second. Think about the first place you ever heard about Jesus. Was it because you were being around and influenced by a bunch of Christians? Maybe. Or maybe you heard about Jesus and you ended up at a church or maybe, maybe you had some, some people in your life that you didn't know were Christians and you were hanging out with them and all of a sudden a Bible study broke out. Shouldn't that happen more? And it is often through hearing of Jesus and being influenced by Christians that God uses to woo us. Woo means win others over. It's an acronym. He uses to woo us to himself. And it is often this larger commitment of actually spending time in community with other Christians and believers that help shape, cement, and grow our understanding of who Jesus actually is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do you guys agree? You ever spent time with people that corrupted your character? Have you ever been the person that helped corrupt someone else's character? I don't want us to look at the negative as much as I want us to look at the point of this. It's not guaranteed because you're around other Christians that you will become a Christian But there is obviously influence and rubbing off on one another that takes place. So for each of us, we've been rubbed off on by other Christ followers if we've made a commitment to Jesus. And the world may or may not be rubbed off on by followers of Jesus because often we're keeping it to ourselves and people don't even know that we're followers of Jesus. This morning I went to Pete's and I picked up my black tea lemonade. I know you're shocked by that. And I picked up my bear claw and and coffee for my bride and a 
uh, scone, which doesn't matter, but that's what I did. And I walk into Pete's, and I'm in there four to five, maybe six days a week normally. And I walk in, I see two of the baristas that I really appreciate, I really like them, and we talk all the time. But they've never really asked me about the hope that I have. Like, I've never walked in, they're like, excuse me, how could I be saved? Like, that's never happened. But one of them doesn't know what I do, which is hilarious because often she'll tell me about things going on in her life, and if she knew I were a pastor, she probably wouldn't share everything that she was sharing. You know, in fact, we were at, uh, I'm going to have two stories in one, we were at our daughter's uh, dance this week, and, and a guy who I've known for a few years because we have parents, he was talking to me about stuff, and the way he was talking to me was awesome. He was F this and F that, and, da, 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 and I was just sitting there, and I was like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. As soon as he finds out I'm a pastor, he's going to be like, oh, and he'd probably run away, okay? So this girl at Pete's, sorry, uh, squirrel, this girl at Pete's, she goes, hey, why are you in here so early? Because to be honest, I never get there before 8.45 during the week. And she goes, she goes, why are you in here so early? And I said, well, I worked this morning. She goes, oh, you worked this morning? I'm sorry, did you volunteer? <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I work on Sundays. I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, and then she walked away. No, I'm just kidding, she didn't do that. Um, she said, oh, are you giving the talk? I said, yeah, I'm giving the talk. She goes, oh, that's great. Break a leg. Okay, thanks. <laughs> you do. Uh, but the thing is that I've been in that Pete's often, and I've, I opened the Bible with many of you in that, the, in that Pete's, and people have kind of seen but haven't really understood why I'm doing what I do. And the truth is, over time, I've started to rub off on the barista named Daniel. I've started to rub off on the different management there. In fact, last week I went and it was so packed that when my buddy and, and Jordan, different Jordan, and I walked into Pete's, uh, there was no seats. And one of, the, one of the baristas said, hey, do you want to sit in the break room? It's like, wow, I got favor up in here, but they won't give me a hoodie. All right, sorry, that was way off track. All right, so do you understand that just because you or someone else says that they are a Christian doesn't actually make them a Christian? You guys track with me on that? Just because you say that you're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian, but the whole point of this text and the idea of that story is that we understand that we are influenced by those that were around, and we influence those that we are around. And there is this narrative in this world that is discipling us, if we realize it or not. We are getting shaped and discipled and trained and equipped by those that are around us, and it doesn't always mean that we're being equipped to follow Jesus. So think about this for a second. Who do you spend most of your time with? Who do you spend most of your time being around? Is it with people that you influence and point towards Jesus, or are they people who pull you farther away from the Lord? I'm not here to condemn. I'm just asking you to think through what do you do with your time, because this matters. And there is this larger perspective we must know that the Lord uses solid, Christ-following, Bible-believing, God-fearing sinners saved by grace. He uses them to draw us to himself. And on top of that, we also have this amazing opportunity every single week as we organize to come together to hear the word of God, the very words of God be taught, and to sing praises to his name corporately. And to see others who are in desperate need of grace come and worship together. So you guys, if you've been here, you've heard this text. I'm sure you've studied it before. But Hebrews chapter 10, 
verses 24 and 25. It'll be up on the screens. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church, and he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We tend to focus on the love and good deeds, but don't miss the spur. Don't miss the the wrestle with and point each other towards. And then he continues, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because we can watch church on, on the internet. That's not what it says, but that's how we treat it. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So never think that I think that our personal evangelism should just be inviting people to church. But it should be a piece of what it looks like to encourage people to be engaged with the Lord because every week we have the opportunity to celebrate Him. And we're often missing this opportunity but not even thinking, hey, someone should sit with us. Someone should come to church with me. Let me, let me be clear on why we gather. I say this a lot, but I want, especially as we're talking about the vision of the church, we gather for two reasons. One, to celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. That's exciting for me. How about you? I've seen some of you worship. I'm not sure. Are you excited that Jesus is coming back? So we come and we corporately gather and we get excited about the fact that one day he'll come back. But we also come together to equip the saints to be disciple makers throughout the week. And that's something, if you've spent any time in this church, you know that we focus on trying to get people to actually meet with one another, talk about what they heard in the sermon, wrestle with who God is, and grow more into the likeness of Jesus by obeying the word of God. This is one of the ways that God draws us to himself before we actually become a new creation is by having us gather together and see, as a non-Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian. Let me talk to us as a church body. So if you're, if you're just visiting, please listen. This applies to you. But really, for those of you that come here every week, hear me. We need you. We need you to make coming to church, being a part of the church body, a priority. Because this is where we celebrate Jesus. And if you are missing, we don't get to celebrate with you. And this is where we corporately come together to be equipped to go out of these doors and be disciple makers. And so if you are just coming every once in a while, you miss out on the language of what we're trying to encourage people to actually apply to their lives. You miss out on what's going on. Too often in the church we go, you should have been there. As opposed to encouraging people to come with us, to sit with us, to have a meal with us after. Okay, application. Have lunch with someone after church that's in this room. Oh, I know that's difficult. But find somebody and have lunch. Build a relationship. Connect. And guess what? In your bulletin, there are questions. So if you don't know what to talk about, start there. Okay, see what we did there? All right, cool. Now, I looked something up on the internet, and since it was on the internet, you know it's true, right? The average church attender in America attends church once every three to four weeks. Some of you cringe. Some of you go, it's about right. Think about that for a second. How will you grow? And I'm not saying church is the end all, it's not. But how will you grow if you're just coming to hear the word preached once every three to four weeks? You're like, but pastor, I listen to it online. Good. But who do you talk with about it? Who do you wrestle with the text with? How will you grow if you're only being rubbed off on by other people here once a month? 
I'm not saying it can't happen. And if you are just spending your entire week just sharing Christ with every person you run into, and you don't have time to come to church every week because you're sharing your faith, then by all means, do that. But you're probably not doing that. So why is it so important to make corporate worship a priority in our lives? Because worshiping and learning together is God's design for disciples to encourage one another, to spur one another on, but also for those outside of the kingdom to be influenced by what's happening inside the kingdom. And also because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are committed to a local church community, and we, the church, are lacking when you're missing. I've already got someone in mind that I'm going to text after the service, not to be like, why weren't you there? But go, dude, we missed you. Because we're better when you're here. So how will people know the Jesus we worship unless we influence them with the Jesus we worship? Not just through our words, but through our actions. One of the largest aha moments for me was last summer I was uh, helping a buddy who was leading a church. And I, I worked at the church while he was on sabbatical. And I was meeting with some of the staff. And we were talking about our faith stories. And the thing that came to mind. It was this big aha moment was, for some of us, there's the date that we believed. Yes, I believe in Jesus. And then there's the date that we repent. And ironically, often those two dates are on different days of the calendar, or different times, different months, sometimes different years. To be honest, I believed June 13th, 2001. I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, I need you. But you know, my sin being willing to actually say, Lord, I need forgiveness of my sins. My sin wasn't that big a deal until around 2008, if I'm honest. And so for some of us, there's a date we believe and there's a date we repent. When we change direction, we say, Lord, I need to follow you. And to be totally honest, we don't become the new creation until we repent. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. See, God, over a very long period of time, started to bring Christians around me that influenced me. I was a believer. I went to church. I had even preached. But I don't know if I really knew what it meant to be bankrupt spiritually, to understand that I was broken because of my sin. But these Christians around me started to influence me, and I started to realize they had something that I didn't have. See, when you become a true follower of Jesus... You don't become a member in a club, but a child in a family. You don't become a member in a club. You become a child in a family, and God decides to call you son or daughter. But all of this process is only done through trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true good news that he did do, which you could not do, that he lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserved to die. He physically rose from the dead. The best verse, personally, I think, for the gospel, not the only verse, but the verse that constantly reminds me of who Jesus is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's not on the slides. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. When I get a tattoo, this is the tattoo I'm getting. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That's why we praise him, church. Because, again, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So it is this gospel, when we receive it, and it starts to change us because we've actually understood that we are broken and we are spiritually bankrupt, that the new creation takes place. 
But let's listen to Paul talk to the church in Galatia because the church in Galatia had started out, yes, saved by grace, hallelujah, but then there were Judaizers that came. And these Judaizers said that in order to become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew. And if you were a grown man, that was going to hurt you. And if you don't know what I mean, I'm sorry. But in order to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. Huh? Huh? Okay. (laughs) So first, the Judaizers were telling people, no, no, it's not just saved by grace. It's actually becoming a Jew first, and then you can become a Christian. And so Paul rebukes the church. He says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to prevent the gospel of Christ. All right, so uh, any kids in this room? All right, this will be fun. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So you don't see the foul language, but curse means to have God's wrath upon you. That's what curse means. And you're like, oh, that's not foul. Yes, it is. He was saying to hell with you. That's what he means. If you're preaching a gospel other than the gospel of grace, to hell with you. See, for me, Jesus took on the wrath I deserve. But Paul uses some strong language here and says that if you mislead, misappropriate, misconstrue the gospel of grace, you ought to be cursed. You ought to have God's wrath upon you. Why? Because you, like the devil, are trying to persuade people away from grace in Jesus Christ and the kingdom and the lordship of Jesus. This is why last week I was so clear when we talked about what we will not compromise on. Any of you remember what it was? The truth of the gospel, obeying the submission to the very words of God, and sanctification as evidence of justification. But there are some other non-negotiables in the church. There are some non-negotiables when it comes to orthodoxy, okay? We spend so much time wrestling with gray area. We spend so much time making secondary things of first importance in the church. Let Let me give you a few. Predestination, creation, women in ministry, gifts of the Spirit, secondary. You hear me? And yet, at the same time, we get away from the gospel because we focused on the wrong thing. So here are some things that are non-negotiable. Jesus has always existed. He didn't start to exist when he was born to Mary. He has always existed. Not only that, Jesus is always and is always 100% God. He is sufficient alone as our means of right standing before God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God that we worship, but he doesn't give us new revelation that is in contradiction with the word of God. Okay? Well, the Lord told me, really? What does he sound like? Because if I don't see that in Scripture, it ain't true. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and here's a quote from Dallas Willard that I think really points us, with, points us to grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So if your gospel is that you did anything, you're wrong. 
Again, I'm preaching like I'm not coming back next week. Or maybe you're not. But I would be wrong to tell you that you could do something to earn God's favor because God loves you perfectly in spite of you, and he proved that by hanging Jesus on a cross. God transforms us through a process of sanctification that lasts our entire earthly lives as we obey God's word. If you take one note, that's a good one. God transforms us through a process of sanctification that lasts our whole earthly lives as we obey God's word. But aren't there a lot of gospels that get peddled around in and outside the church? Give me, give me, give me a gospel. Give me a gospel. Don't, don't put it up yet. Sam, give me a gospel that maybe you've heard that isn't the true gospel. Go. Say that again. Perfect salvation. So this idea that you can be um, perfect uh, and that's the only way that you're saved? Yeah, unless you are perfect, you're not saved. Well, guilty. Where are some other ones? Prosperity. Yeah, everyone. Prosperity. Best life now. Not true. All right. Put those up. Here's some... Here's some false gospels that some of us have been influenced by. The prosperity gospel, the poverty suffering gospel, the Christless gospel, the therapeutic moralistic gospel, the social club gospel, the humanitarian gospel, and the new age gospel. So the prosperity gospel is that God wants to give you your best life now and that he wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and, and great in this life. But as one preacher once said, if your best life's now, you're going to hell. So God actually did for us what we could not do for ourselves, but at the same time, there is going to be trials, the Bible says, and we're going to have to go through things, and yet the Lord gives us his spirit so we can actually handle those trials and grow from them. The poverty, suffering gospel, this idea that if you just sell everything that you have, that's when the Lord loves you. The Lord loves rich people too, okay? But he wasn't kidding when he said it's impossible for a rich man to come because if you start to get your your justification through what you've done your identity from the money that you've uh, gotten and you make that your god then you don't need jesus the christless gospel always be afraid when people pray if they don't talk about jesus so often we take Jesus out of the gospel, and that's no gospel at all. The therapeutic, moralistic gospel, this idea that all we have to do is be more moral, and as long as we're more moral, then God loves us, and that's essentially earning. The social club gospel, the idea that we just come together and we do good things, and we have fun together, and we pray and do a devotional, and that's all that we need to do, but we are not part of a club, we are part of God's family. The humanitarian gospel that all we have to do is good things and then God will love us. Hear me. God loves us in spite of you. And so it's not wrong to do good things, but if you do the good things as your justification, you've missed it. The new age gospel or universalism that basically says in quotes, I'm spiritual, I just don't believe in organized religion. But there's no truth in that gospel. It's just how you feel. And guess what? The way you feel is misleading. Here's the thing when it comes to receiving the true gospel of Jesus. We become a new creation when we've believed and repented, but being a new creation is actually obvious because change takes place. You cannot stay the way you were. It doesn't mean you're totally different overnight, but all of a sudden your priorities and the things that mattered most to you start to change. Here's one of the things, at least for me, 
When I realize that I'm a new creation, I realize that there is no sin in my life that God does not know about that I can keep from him. And so as a new creation, I started to realize that I have to confess my sin, not to a priest, but at least to my God, and say to him, Lord, I've done this wrong. I'm sorry. But for many of us, because we're not a new creation, we don't, we don't confess our sin. We would rather just know that we're forgiven than actually ask for forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. It is so good for our souls to realize that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But Paul's addressing this theme in his letters. He highlights something. I want you to write this down. He highlights the now and not yet tension. Okay? This is, this is theology. He highlights the new or the now, meaning you're a new creation now, but you're also, there's a not yet tension of the Christian life because you are growing, you are being sanctified, and the rebirth of our inner spiritual being enables us to live for God as he intended. But since we continue to live in our earthly bodies, we continue to engage in the battle between flesh and spirit. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. The key to victory is walking in the spirit, no longer obeying the desires of the flesh. You want to know how to walk in the spirit? Put this to practice. Not because you have to, but because you get to. And that's how we grow. Through obeying the word of God and the Holy Spirit in cooperation. This is the, one of the most important truths any of us can ever accept. We are no longer who we once were, but in Christ we are a new creation. We are no longer who we once were, but in Christ we are a new creation. You are new, but the old is still present. Do you guys get that? Your body's still decaying. You still have what we talked about over this past series, the old man that you're dragging along with, where you will, if you're like me, go back to the old man and respond the way the old man would. But the new creation creates an opportunity for us to not be identified by who we once were. But, but hear me, I, I've heard the new creation taught a lot, and here's the mistake I think we do when we teach the new creation. We tell people, okay, you're a new creation, so out with the old and in with the new. Not exactly. Because your past life, if we're honest in this room, there are people in this room that have been abused as children. There are people in this room that have gone through really hard marriages. There are people in this room that have been really angry and done things they regret. There are people in this room that have had to go through a lot of things prior to Christ. And God doesn't say, oh, none of that matters. It actually does because God can redeem it. You hear me? God can actually use your past to help you minister to people that have gone through the exact same thing. That's one of the ways that he redeems it. So please don't get stuck believing that who you were is all you'll ever be or have this victim mentality because I had a hard childhood. Does anyone want to trade testimonies with me and my dead parents? Probably not. And yet God redeems our past and uses it for his glory when he makes us a new creation in him. I don't want you to miss this because I think some of us actually believe what I'm about to say. Some of us think that when we become a new creation, Jesus just makes us a better version of ourselves. He does not. Jesus does not make us a better person. He makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus with a new identity. 
but we cannot continue to think that just because we had a past history that we are given amnesia and we don't have to think about that because that history, the things we've gone through, God uses to help us minister to other people. Um, I came to faith as an atheistic college student. Guess who I love to spend more time with than any type of person that's outside the faith? Atheistic college students. You think God redeemed that with me? Do you think God was intentional on when he decided to save me and what he saved me from and where he saved me and how he saved me? And after a person is a new creation or regenerate, the old value systems and priorities, beliefs, loves, and plans, they're gone. Evil and sin are still present, but the believer sees them in a new perspective and they no longer control him. So this passage, this idea of new creation, it is this newness is a a continuing condition of fact. So you're continually being grown more into the likeness of Jesus. And the believer's new perception of everything is a constant reality for that person. And you now live for eternity, not temporal things. James actually talks about this in his book. We're familiar with this. When he identifies this transformation as faith that produces works. So when Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. It is because you are a new creation, you are no longer identified by if you were circumcised, you weren't circumcised, you grew up in the church, you didn't grow up in the church, what other faith you had before. You are a new person in Christ Jesus, but God has given you a perception and a history so you can minister to the people that you were a part of before. I'll end with this. Worship team, you can come on up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you all are sons or daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. So as we talk about our sanctification process, the thing, I've taught all of this to tell you one specific thing. You are a new creation, not just when you believe, but when you've repented. And you've realized that you were broken because of your sin at some point. And many of you are there. Many of you have trusted the Lord. But at least for me, there was a date I believed and there was a date I repented. And then the newness of life, my identity, and how I started to grow more in the likeness of Jesus seemed to start there, not when I just believed. And if we're headed towards being a church that is going to focus on helping people grow in the likeness of Jesus by making disciples of all nations and generations, then we have to be on the same page. Another way to say new creation is regenerate or born again. And Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you're familiar with that one verse, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. But the context of that verse was Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night, so that's why we call him Nick at night, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, obviously you're from God, but what must I do to inherit eternal life is essentially his question without actually asking it that way, and Jesus says, you must be born again. You're not a better version of you. You're not Benjamin Buttoning. You're not Baby Groot. You are a brand new person made in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he predetermined that you would do, but you must repent. And so it is this new life that only comes from death. This quote I heard from a a friend at lunch a few weeks ago, you need to truly die 
before you can truly be made alive. And so some of us have just asked God to give us a makeover when he truly wants to give us a take, he wants to take over. Some of us want to put a dress on a corpse or lipstick on a pig. That's a Texas-ism. But the thing is that God wants to own us and when he owns us, he gives us new life and it is that new life where we start to grow more into his likeness. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head as George makes me sound spiritual? And we're going to have the opportunity to take communion, to give of our offerings. But before we do that, I, I just, I want us to be on the same page. And I'm not saying everyone's where we're, what I'm talking about. I, I would guess there are many people in this room that are regenerate and born again. But maybe, just maybe, you were like me, where you believed, but you hadn't truly repented. You hadn't truly changed direction. You hadn't said, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Make me new in you. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to ask you, just in the quietness of where you are, that if that's you, I would encourage you to dialogue with God right now. Say to him, Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm sorry for the fact that I've sinned against you, but Lord, I need more of you. God, I thank you for sending your son who did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and I believe I trust him. I want to follow him. I want to do the things that he tells me to do. So in this place, if that's you, I'd encourage you to tell somebody, but we also have the opportunity that if that's you, maybe you would take communion today for the first time saved and starting your sanctification process to look more like Jesus. So God, I pray for those of us that are in this room. I pray for us as we're about to worship through communion and through offering and through music. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and use this as an opportunity for us to grow more into your likeness as we hear your words taught and we apply them to our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. We're about to take communion, and the way we tend to do it here is we're going to ask you to come up and grab a wafer and dip it in the juice and then partake. Before we do that, I want to read to you from the book of Mark. It said this in Mark 14. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. The teacher asked, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will then show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready to make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. 
While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, where if you're familiar with the story, it's the direction in which Jesus was going to be arrested, put on a cross, die for our sins, and three days later rise from the dead. And so as we partake in communion, I would ask that this would be a holy time. If you've repented and made a commitment to Jesus today, do this understanding that you and God are good, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he has accomplished for you. And come and partake in communion. But if your heart is not right before a brother or sister in the Lord, or if your heart is not right with God, I'd encourage you to just stay seated where you are. Because this is something to be taken serious. Because this is us worshiping and remembering what Christ has done for us. And so please come and grab of a wafer and dip it in the juice if you're prepared. If you came prepared to give of your offering, if you believe this is the church that's going to help you grow into the likeness of Jesus, we'd encourage you to give, but don't feel that you have to if you're just visiting or just checking us out. But come and partake and remember what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. God, I pray for us as we sing, as we give of our offerings. Lord, I pray that you would multiply that offering to make more disciples who look more like you throughout this world. God, I pray for us as we take of communion that it would be a time that we would reflect on all the good that you've done in our past, in our present, you will do in our future. Lord, would you take this time and would you get the worship that you deserve? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.